Good evening, it's six o'clock and you're listening to Newswire. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien, here to take you through all the latest in news and current affairs. On today's show, we speak to the Dublin woman who has just released her first TEDx talk after working in Russia for over 20 years to improve the lives of children living in orphanages. Dublin City Council has confirmed that a new cycle route along the Liffey will be in place by August. DCU has microwaves coming to all three campuses over the next three weeks. And a high proportion of CBD products sold in Ireland are in breach of food safety laws, and some may pose safety risks to consumers, according to the Food Safety Authority of Ireland. But first, we have our six o'clock news bulletin. Two schools in Clare have issued closure notices after it was confirmed that a pupil had tested positive for COVID-19. Parents of children attending the two schools were sent text messages yesterday evening informing them a pupil had tested positive for the virus and the school would be closed until further notice. The primary and secondary schools in North Clare will remain closed until the 18th of March to stop the spread of the virus. Another school in the north of the country has advised parents to keep their children at home today pending advice from the HSE. Supermarket retailer Tesco has issued an apology to a customer in Ireland after details of a home shopping order that referenced the fact that the customer was in self-isolation were leaked on a WhatsApp group. When ordering online, there was an option to relay information that would aid in delivery. Here, the customer asked if the delivery could be left at the front door and for the delivery person to knock on the door. The person said they were in self-isolation before leaving a contact number. Images being shared on WhatsApp also contain the name and address of the person in question. Fianna Fáil leader Michal Martin has said that his party will go into government with Fianna Gael. Martin was speaking on RTE today with Sean O'Rourke this morning and said the public would not forgive us for another election. Representatives from Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil yesterday concluded a day-long meeting on a range of issues, but neither Martin nor Fianna Gael leader Leo Varadkar were involved in the discussions. Speaking about what was discussed, Martin said there was a serious exploration of issues and that any government would require a different approach to issues such as the economy, housing, health and the climate change. Martin said Fine Gael has stressed that the discussion between the parties are not negotiations. He said, respects, he said he respects this view but believes it may change and that a repolitic has to break through at some stage. And finally, Disney Plus is streamrolling ahead of their latest movie to get the sequel reboot treatment. The online streaming service, which is set to return on March 24th, is set to make a sequel to the Halloween favourite Hocus Pocus. They can get the original cast members to return. Already attached to the project is Hairspray, director Adam Adam Shankman, who has been lined up to helm the Disney sequel. Jen D'Angelo, producer and writer of TV series Workaholics, is also attached to the project. However, the big question is, will Betty Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker and Katie... Kathy Najem take another trip back to Salem. While all while all three have yet to confirm a deal with the Walt Disney Studio, their involvement is highly likely. The three actresses have expressed interest in the past, and if Disney can manage to get Rick Morris out of retirement for a Honey I Shrunk the Kids reboot, then the studio can do anything. Our first guest this evening has spent the past twenty years working in Russia, helping to improve the lives of children living in orphanages there. She founded the charity To Russia With Love, later renamed To Children With Love, and has brought structure, education, ambition, care and love to the lives of over 5,000 children. Her lobbying of the Russian government of the Russian authorities 
has transformed how children in state care are treated in Russia. In 2019, she was awarded the Order of Friendship by President Putin, which is the highest honour that can be given to a foreigner in Russia. She has now released her first TEDx talk. Miss Deegan, President Putin will be seated to your right. We're joined on the line now by Debbie Deegan to find out more about her incredible story. Debbie, I think we'll start with the name of your new TEDx talk. Miss Deegan, President Putin will be seated to your right. It's a fantastic name. Where did it come from? The way the TED team works is they they run interviews to see how to do their TED talks. And so I went to London for the interview and um, when I was there, I spoke about my own history too and how we, you know, were working with children and all that. And I spoke to them about the fact that I had just been back from the Kremlin um, and that I had obviously had dinner with Putin. And of course, like all my 21 years working with children and, you know, doing the whole humanitarian thing, they were just completely fascinated at this idea of uh, kind of a very, like an ordinary woman from Qatar, who, you know, who started the charity at her own kitchen table. Literally, we did. And how 21 years later, I'm sitting having dinner with President Putin at his table. So that was, that was their, they thought that was kind of the, I suppose, the, you know, not the hook, but just the most fascinating thing that it was kind of so extreme, you know? So that's really, when they introduced me then on the TED stage, they come out then and they introduce everybody with a kind of like a two or three line piece. And that was how they introduced me. This is a woman who basically started her um, charity at her own kitchen table and she's here today to tell you about her dinner at, with President Putin at his table. So as soon as TEDx approached you about doing yes. one of these talks, were you immediately yes. interested? Was it something that you thought about doing? Oh, my God. Yes. No, I thought, oh, my God, let me ask that. And um, I, I love talking. And I've been watching TED for years and years and years. So I was really nervous. And I, I'm not normally ever nervous going up on a stage to talk, I have to say. Cause I love the idea that ordinary people kind of think after I've spoken to them, my God, why am I not doing more? And, it, 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 you know, all you have to do is make the first step. And I don't mean to be sounding cheesy, but, like, really, all you have to do is make that first decision. You know, okay, I'm going to do this. And then an energy takes over and, you know, stuff goes into place. The talk that you gave is an extremely inspiring talk. It's, there's a fantastic mix of comedy and emotion in it. Was it difficult <laughs> to prepare your speech? Yeah, it's very daunting. I mean, when you walk out on that stage, um, it was three layers of, of theatre. So there's about, about 2,000 people there. And um, and I don't mind that. And I don't mind the lights all around you and cameras all around you. But it was kind of, what I found really, really hard even was that I had to learn the speech off. And I'm really, I didn't realise I was bad at that until I started doing it. So I wrote the speech. And then I, it was like 10 pages, 10, 84 pages. And then I, so I had to learn it off, like wrote the way you learned off school. Because I learned it off, I nearly couldn't remember what was coming next, even though it's my own story. And my oh, fear God. was that I would go blank on the stage and I wouldn't remember. And I'm better off the cuff because I know exactly what comes next in my head. But once I see words on paper, it was like all of a sudden I was like, which bit, I, how, how did I remember it right down next? You know, I found the learning process quite difficult. They make you learn it off, Eva. They... Like, they, they had a coach for me. Uh, they have a coach for everybody, and she checks in on you regularly to see where you're at, 
how you're doing, that you haven't repeated anything, that your words are impactful. You know, they make sure you're at a certain standard or you don't get through the, like it's about a five month process in advance. And you don't get through the process if you're like, if you can't remember or if you're bungling it, you know. You speak in your talk about how you originally went to Russia looking for one child that you had met while she was here in Ireland. Have you always had such a strong humanitarian instinct or why did this child strike such a chord with you? Well, I explain in the TED talk, as you saw, when I went, I went into the orphanage and um, children had come to Ireland with the Chernobyl Children's Project, one of the Chernobyl Projects. And uh, they, they went back to Russia and I decided to go back to Russia just to visit these, this particular child. And when I tell a story of a little girl who I picked up in my arms when I was leaving and she they said to me, tell Debbie I've never been kissed before. And I made a promise that day to that child when I'll come back. And if I, do, if I come back and do nothing else, the least I can do is that. And uh, I had small kids of my own at the time. They were going to Belgrove School. I was an at-home mom. Like, like we weren't wealthy. We're like we're a family that had to work to earn, you know. And um, I just went back when this time I thought, okay, more. We need to. I need to do. I need to go back to Russia now. I need to go back and fill, fulfill my promise, as I said. And then, as you saw at the very end, I brought her onto the stage. It was really beautiful. Really, really beautiful <laughs> moment. <laughs> Well, I think so. I mean, funny enough, um, I didn't plan to do that at all. But she came to stay with me for months. And uh, she has a very long, extremely difficult story that I wouldn't go into. But she came to stay with me this Christmas. And she was here. And I was on the bed one night thinking, thought, like, I'm not sure if my talk is good enough. I'm not sure if I'm, you know, worthy of standing on a TEDx stage in England, like in front of English people. <laughs> that rattled me as well. And then I thought, Jesus, that she was upstairs in the bed here in the attic. And I thought, my God, if I could bring her on at the end, it just shows people that the whole thing is real. And I'm not just some do-gooder talking about work we did, you know. And so I got her very kindly, the English Embassy facilitated, and we got a visa to get her from Ireland into England. It was only a last-minute, second decision to bring her. And really, it was the magic at the end. Got a standing ovation on the day. We were the only ones that got a standing ovation out of twelve really fabulous speakers. You were awarded the Order of Friendship from President Putin for your work in the orphanages over there and all the work that you've done bringing structure and education and transition, I guess, to the lives of over five thousand children. Is there an aspect of your work that you're most proud of? Um, is there an aspect of my work? Once we started the whole rebuild, it, it was PC then to rebuild orphanages, it's not now. And then we decided to rebuild all of the children. And then we decided to find all of their siblings that were all separated from them for like my hours away. And then we got heavily involved finding all of their, if we could find any family members, joining the kids with their families, back to their families. Um, and we were focused very much on that. And then we turned that grim, really, really grim orphanage, one of the best orphanages in the world. Um, and that, 10 years ago, I would have said that was my proudest moment, if you had asked me, because we had this magnificent, uh, all singing, all dancing orphanage that was like pink, green, yellow, white windows, lacy curtains. I mean, exactly as I said on TED, we put in ice skating rinks, basketball courts, I mean, we went 
I totally went for it. And the kids were utterly in heaven. Fifteen years ago, I would have said, getting this place turned around. Ten years ago, I would have said, starting to see the, char- the, ch- the change in the children. I wasn't expecting the dramatic change in the children. Fifteen years on, I would have said, um, we were absolutely stunned, not realizing that we were going to be standing at college graduations and universities watching our children graduate. And 20 years on, which is now, I'm standing back looking at our original children with ch- with children of their own, happily married, in normal family relationships. Like, my goal was to get them to normal. But they didn't, they, like, they smashed that. They smashed that and went on to be, like, unbelievable business people, teachers, doctors, nurses. Um, and we've completely smashed this You've obviously had huge success in your career and your journey up until this point. And now with TED Talks and kind of the inspirational speaking, is that sort of motivational talk something that you would like to get into or what is next for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm married to it. So I will stay involved with children's lives because there's no getting out of it for me. I can't get out of it, nor do I want to. We're totally immersed in all of their lives. But am I like totally immersed in all of their lives? And it, you can't walk away from it because we've grown these this, this enormous energy and these these enormous um, uh, families. Every this enormous I couldn't begin to tell you. Like it, it does blow you away when you see it. It's, it's not like we went out with medicine and toilet rolls and cow ball and old clothes and gave them to orphanages and walked away. It, it absolutely is not that picture. We decided to become their family, and that's what made the difference. Um, so what would I do now? I'd like to, I would like, yes, I, I am going to talk more. I'm going to do more talks. Um, I'm going to go, uh, I'll talk to anybody who wants to listen to me because I feel in the world that we live in today, I genuinely feel that people do not realize how powerful they are. I was an ordinary mommy with kids at school when I took this on. And you just have to be brave and courageous enough to take the first step. And don't feel for a second that, well, who am I? I'm not, uh, who am I? I can't do anything. My difference is not going to make a difference. Yes, it is. Like, Arab literally, start, literally started with a kiss. And I don't want to sound cheesy or like we made that up. And it, it changed. Like, one drop, literally one drop in the water created a tsunami for us. There is not enough kindness in our world. And people don't take enough time to be kind to others. And I think it's, sometimes they're afraid. They're afraid to get involved in charities. I mean, I was being funny on the TED stage when I said, don't ever go to a coffee morning or you'll end up doing 20 years in the Russian forest. I mean, people sometimes are afraid to join an organization or get involved. But, you know, don't be. You're more powerful than you think. And you can change lives and change the world we live in. And, like, who could possibly say that this world we're living in at the moment doesn't need to be changed? We seriously need to change the world we're living in. And and there's no point in expecting Donald Trump to do it or Vladimir Putin. Like, it has to be down to us. It was announced that microwaves will be coming to all three DCU campuses in the next three weeks. On Glasgow-Nevin campus, there will be two in the U and two in the nursing building. On St. Pat's, there will be two microwaves placed in Java and two in Marmadukes on All Hallows campus. Having microwaves on campus in DCU has been an issue students have been wanting and fighting for for years. Now that it has been implemented, I asked students and commuters and campus residents their thoughts on it and how it will cause any problems. What are your thoughts on the introduction of microwaves on campus? I think it's a great idea to bring microwaves onto campus. Personally, I do live on campus, so I wouldn't avail of them. I don't think too much, but it is great for commuters to use them. Um, 
I think it'd be good for them. Um, I've been waiting for this since I started college because I commute around an hour and um, a half, up to an hour and a half every day. So um, sometimes when I'm kind of more broke than other times, it's nice to bring my own lunch in, except I'm just sick of eating my food cold. So um, the manifestos and everything I've been looking for in the election, I've been looking for that as well because for commuters, it's really something that is um, a necessity. So um, finally, it's here. So I'm really happy. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. I think it's a great way to save money. People bring their own food from home. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it'll work well on campus for people. I think it's great. They're really necessary because I commute. Um, so, you know, we have no ways of heating up our food. If I wanted to bring like a dinner, if I was in all day, I wouldn't have a way of heating it up. I'd have to pay for the food that's in the canteen, which I don't think is that uh, student friendly, the prices. So yeah, I think it'd be really good. And do you think there'll be any problems with it, such as like safety or cleaning up after people? I guess personally I would always make sure that I clean up after myself but it's everyone else and it depends how many microwaves there are um, but I can understand that would be an issue if, if it wasn't but yeah I think there could be a few issues with, with cleaning it. I think safety not really but um, the cleaning maybe you know some people are worse um, on that than others um, but hopefully because so many people wanted it they'll keep it clean just um, so they'll last. Yeah, I think that might be a problem. Maybe people won't take the time to actually clean up after they've used it, but overall I think it would be a good introduction on campus. Um, I don't think health and safety would be an issue, but I do think cleaning up after them, you know how dirty microwaves can get, and if there's such a large variety of people using them, um, it's just important that students make sure to clean after themselves. Dublin City Council has confirmed that a new cycle route along the Liffey will be in place by August. Ginny Keegan reports. Dublin City Council have approved plans for a trial Liffey cycle route along Dublin's Quays. The Liffey cycle route, a fully segregated track running along both the North and South Quays, was first proposed in 2011. It will be 5 kilometres long and it will run from the East Link Bridge right down to Houston Station. Council Chief Executive Owen Keegan has recommended that a temporary route should be implemented and should be completed by August at a cost of €800,000. However, the Council estimates that the earliest completion date for the permanent scheme is 2024. Segregated cycleways will be put in place along most of the route. However, in some sections, such as between Aston Quay and Wood Quay, there will be gaps due to lack of space. Bollards will be used to keep cyclists separate, but it was stressed by Dublin City Council that the plan will not interfere with footpaths and bus lanes. I spoke to Green Party Councillor Janet Horner about these plans. So it's been in the Dublin, the Liffey Cycle, uh, a plan for the Liffey Cycle has been in the Dublin Development Plan since 2011. So it's close to a decade where it's been discussed and talked about that there should be a safe cycling route along the Liffey that would take you from, for example, Houston all the way into the middle of the city centre um, safely and segregated from the traffic using using bikes. So that's been in the works for a long time. There's yeah. been a lot of debates about how and what it would look like. Um, and then recently there was an agreed upon which route we were going to do. And that seemed like an enormous step forward. But then the next thing was that it was um, because of the, the construction work involved and the the surveys and the impact on the, the river and the bridges, 
uh, it was going to be 2024 before this was going to be delivered. And given the number of people that are cycling along the canal at the moment, or the river at the moment, in very precarious circumstances, um, it really, like, a period of four to five years Mm -hmm. until we can actually see substantive progress in this is just way too long. So the idea of this is that these are temporary measures that can be put in place at a relatively low cost that can secure a significant upgrade, but definitely a long way from a perfect route between now and 2024 when we hope to have a much more significant and um, high standard of cycling there. So how long will this trial actually last? And do you think that having this trial is going to end up pushing back the date even further? I don't I don't think so. And I will be pushing very strongly that it doesn't. Um, the, the trial, for my mind, is going to be one where um, it'll be put in place till August. I understand it'll last through to when the, the full Livy Cycle route is going to be implemented in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we'll be looking to do at that stage is just keep monitoring what the safety issues are along that route, keep monitoring if there are any issues that are coming up that need to be dealt with in a much more comprehensive way in the when the full route is let, set out. And... Um, just work out what can be improved upon, what the impact is on the city centre. And hopefully what I I think we will see in the case of the route is that people will cycle more when it it feels much safer. Mm -hmm. Um, That will reduce the amount of car traffic in the city centre and it will grow the appetite for actually rolling out these kind of projects much more extensively across the city. And for those people who don't cycle, what does a segregated route actually mean? So the segregated route will be, it'll be separated in the most part by plastic wands. Mm-hmm. So you might see there's certain parts of the canal on the north side um, near um, the Hapenny Bridge end where there's some plastic wands in place at the moment. And that just means that it stops, for example, taxis or cars or buses pulling across and, and often squeezing people on bikes off the road completely. So it will still be on the roadway. It'll just have a little barrier that prevents um, heavy and motor ve- like motor vehicles of any sort been able to squeeze in and push cyclists off the road. Yeah. So it offers just that extra bit of protection for people. For those who, who don't cycle at the moment, there will be some upgrade works done to the done to the footpaths and they will be they'll be maintained, but for the most part, um not much changes mm. for those who walk around the city centre. So so all things going well, and is there going to be a push to get segregated cycle routes anywhere else in the city? Yeah, I think we, like, we're like we definitely moving towards that. So, I mean, the Bus Connects project is going to be rolling out a significant number of um, segregated cycle lanes, but again, that's several years away. Mm-hmm. Um, I was down at the Royal Canal Cycleway um, Greenway last week where there'll be a dedicated off-route off-road walking and cycling route along the Royal Canal between um, the Dockland Station and the North Strand. So we're looking at, and there will be many more, there's many more projects in the works and it is just wherever possible, we know that paint is not enough to provide, a strip of paint is not going to provide the safety people need Mm -hmm. to feel like cycling is a viable option for them in the city. We know that if we want to incentivize more people to walk and cycle in the city, we need it to feel safe and comfortable. Um, And that's not the case at the moment. So wherever possible, we are looking to move towards road upgrade works. We'll be looking at how they can provide um, segregated cycling facilities. Is there anything that you think needs to be done? For instance, I think a lot of people are afraid of cycling in town because there's not enough places to lock their bikes. Is there anything going to be done about that? 
there's a plan so Dumb City Council is rolling out I think it's 2,000 is the target new bike parking spaces in the city centre mm-hmm. um, I would love to see high intensity bike parking rolled out as well so around the travel hub so um, Pier Station Tara Station Connolly Houston these are places where we should have um, people often leave their bikes for possibly a few days at a time and that's the kind of place where we need to have that secure covered um, high intensity bike parking but at the moment what we're looking at is just increasing significantly the number of on street bike parking facilities that are available A high proportion of CBD products sold in Ireland are in breach of food laws and some may pose safety risks to consumers according to the Food Safety Authority of Ireland. Katie Lowry reports In 2020, the FSAI published results of a survey carried out in late 2019 on hemp and hemp-based products, primarily supplements on the Irish market. Using an accredited laboratory and accredited test methods, the FSAI uncovered a number of regulatory breaches. Of primary concern was the content of THC or tetrahydrocannabinol, the psychoactive component in cannabis. The industry has been in recent contact with the FSAI to see how they can best comply with the regulations that were found to be breached. However, the FSAI intend to do further testing on those products to determine whether those initial results were batch-specific results or whether they represent a a systematic problem uh, and in such case then more wide-scale action would have to be taken. We haven't had that much feedback from consumers but frontline officials in the environmental health service have noticed that there are consumers contacting them about these products uh, with various questions as to integrity and safety. The FSAI responded to claims that the report was inaccurate. The results published by FSAI in relation to hemp foods have been questioned by a few in the industry primarily because they contradict their own laboratory results. However the FSAI is in discussion with these food businesses and we have asked them to produce their results and the accreditation of the labs involved. At the moment, uh, no accredited labs have been used by the industry that we are aware of and therefore the results of the FSAI survey stand as they are carried out by an accredited lab using accredited methods. Discussions with the industry are ongoing. Celtic Wind, a company who make 100% cold-pressed CBD, multi-complex hemp products, and were not part of the product recall, discussed the issue with us. Yeah, well, looking at the products that were recalled during that, we noticed that nearly all of them were all isolated products. And there is a difference in the market between um, products. One of the main differences being that there is CBD isolated products that um, is CBD isolate basically in olive oil or coconut oil or versions of that. And then you would have a product like ours. We make a Celtic Wind, which is an old cold press technique that we use, which protects the the full plant profile and that's what we like to see in the bottle is the profile that we see in the field and that would be one of the main differences and obviously because our technique is so old and the novel food act which was 1997 which does govern cbd isolate does not actually govern cold press techniques celtic wind call for further clarity on regulations we would call for further reg um, for the clarification mostly on the regulations. We see that's where the problem is and that food law needs to be explained in greater detail and we actually seen this during the um, 
the recent recall that we had, there was a lot of labels which were not labelled correctly. So there is a lot of legislation and regulations around food and food supplements alone. Um, and that's what we would advise people is to get the, the regulations right for the product you're producing to bring to market. Celtic Wynn gave us advice for people who are wanting to buy these products. Research the company that you're actually buying it off. Um, I would advise companies that have been around for a long while, like ourselves, um, because there's been so many new market entries that we've seen in the past 12, 18 months and um, there's no traceability on the product. That's absolutely key. You need to be able to trace it back in case there is... Um, any sort of, well, like the recall that we've seen, it's a food safety issue. So we would advise um, not only uh, checking out the traceability, the product should have a batch number attached to it. It is food law and safety. That batch number should be able to um, take you back through the company, its operations, and back to the, the original raw material and where it was actually, where that raw material came from. Yeah, that, that's really key, so it is. I spoke to students about the recent recall and CBD products. Yeah, so uh, in relation to the products that have been taken off the market, uh, I haven't indeed used them before. Um, them taken off the market wouldn't really deter me from using them again. For me, the psychedelic is in the THC, not the CBD oil, regardless of what has been said. So I think they're safe to use, probably would use them again. Um, I've never used uh, CBD products, but they do sound really interesting and I've read a bit about them as something that I would look into to try and um, the fact that there's been a recall on them would not deter me from using them because um, I think it's normal every few years that there is something that gets a recall like it happens quite often in the supermarket with foods and that wouldn't stop me from eating those foods you know once the recall has happened and it's been deemed as safe to eat again so no it wouldn't stop me from trying it. Yeah, I have used CBD oil before. I don't use it too much, but I use it every now and then. Um, since it got recalled, no, I probably would still do it, to be honest. It wouldn't really change my mind that much. Katie Lowry, DCU. That's all we have time for this evening. I'm Aoife O'Brien. And I'm Crenza Rock. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to keep up to date with all the latest news. And we'll be back here again next Thursday at 6. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your evening.